morning, everybody. Good to be with you guys. Um, I've, been, I've been able to preach at my church back up by my school and other places, but it's pretty special to be able to preach here at my home church. Thank you for the privilege, Pastor Mike. Appreciate it. Pray as we start. Father in heaven, thank you for this Lord's Day. Um, Bless us here by the preaching of your word. By the Holy Spirit, strengthen us, cause us to grow. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Growing up, I used to play basketball a lot. Um, I played all the time. I actually try to make it to the NBA, um, but growing up as an athlete, I used to hear a lot of quotes like this one by LeBron James. He says, "Strive for greatness." That's a very popular quote that LeBron. That's on a lot of LeBron's gear, his shirts, his hats, and other Nike gear that LeBron sells. And uh, so he's seen as an example of a person who strives for greatness. And here's another quote, a similar one, a funny quote by Shaquille O'Neal. He said, Shaq said, I want to be known as the big Shakespeare. It was Shakespeare that said, some men are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. So these are the kinds of things that I heard as an athlete growing up, these sort of quotes. Um, and there's, there's nothing wrong with these quotes. There's nothing wrong with what they said. Uh, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. Um, I think greatness is something to be admired. It's something to be sought after, but there comes a problem when we wrongly define greatness. Um... God wants us to be great, but there comes a problem when we misplace greatness. Um, Shaq and LeBron, they wrongly define greatness as in terms of success on the basketball court. And most of the world does this, not just Shaq and LeBron. Most of the world says greatness is Success or power or knowledge or so on or wealth. But in this passage we'll look at today, Jesus defines greatness for us according to the dictionary of heaven, not according to how the world defines it. In this passage, Jesus basically gives us a lesson on greatness, it's basically a a greatness seminar. Um, Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. I'll read the passage. So James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, 
We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? But to sit on my right hand or on my left, this is not mine to give. Oh, sorry. They said, we are able, verse 39. And Jesus says to them, the cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. And calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So this passage takes place days before Jesus enters Jerusalem for his death and resurrection. As verse 32 says, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Um, The theme of this passage is the greatness of love or the greatness of service. Um, And in this passage, there are two main things that Jesus teaches. Jesus corrects the disciples a couple of misunderstandings that the disciples have about greatness. Jesus first corrects their misunderstanding about the path to greatness and the meaning of greatness. So Jesus teaches the disciples here about the path to greatness and the meaning of greatness. First, he corrects their understanding of the path to greatness in verses 35 to 39. The conversation starts in verse 35. When James and John, they come up to Jesus and they say, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. So James and John come up to Jesus and they basically ask him to sign a blank check. They say, They ask Jesus to agree to give them something without first telling them what it is they want. If Jesus agrees to give this to them, then before knowing what it is, then he can't say no after they tell him what what they actually want. So they're trying to trick Jesus into getting what they want. I think they do this because they probably know that Jesus won't give them what they ask This is a big request they're asking for. So they try to trick him into getting this. But Jesus doesn't fall for their trick. In verse 36, he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? So he says, I'm not signing that blank check. Just tell me what you want. And they say to him, verse 37, grant that we may sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. James and John rightly understood that Jesus is going to have a kingdom one day and he's going to rule and have power and authority. They rightly understand that and they ask if they could rule next to him. 
They want to be, they want to have the highest place of authority and power in his kingdom. In ancient times, king elevated the highest people to their right and their left hand. And so this is what James and John are asking for. But Jesus says to them, verse 38, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Well, first he says, you do not know what you are asking. The disciples, they didn't understand something here. And that's the first point, first main point. They didn't understand the path to greatness. And Jesus says to them, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Um, So what the disciples don't understand here is that reward and honor correspond directly to suffering. Reward and honor correspond directly to suffering. Everyone who wants reward and honor, Jesus says, I have to drink the cup and be baptized. The cup is an Old Testament idiom, which is, stands for something, for drinking in something, taking in something, experiencing it fully. Psalm 75 verse 8 talks about the ungodly drinking the cup of wrath. So the cup is often associated with suffering. He, sa- he says to them, are you able to drink the cup? Are you able to be baptized? Meaning not Christian baptism, but immersion. Are you able to be plunged into or submerged into it? Are you really able to go all the way and suffer? To be drowned in persecution? Persecution? Can you drink it all in and be submerged in it? That's what Jesus is telling them. Because that's what you're really asking for. Because if you want glory, suffering corresponds directly to glory, Jesus says. Um, And he says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Jesus is an example. His life is an example of this point, this truth. Philippians chapter 2 Verses 5 and 8, if you want to turn there. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 8 says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus was crucified on the cross. On the cross, he suffered more than anyone who ever suffered um, because he bore God's wrath on the cross for our sins. And what did God do? Verse 9 says, For this reason God highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So we see that if you want to be, if you want honor, if you want glory, like the disciples did, James and John, if you want a great name, if you want to be exalted, then you have to be willing to endure suffering. That, that's what Jesus is teaching them. This is true for Jesus. This was true in Jesus' life, and it's true for us, his disciples. As Jesus said before, a disciple is not above his teacher. So turn back to, to Mark chapter 10. Go back to Mark chapter 10 to this passage. And Jesus next, he asked them. For, so he says, are you able to suffer like I will? And this is how they respond. Verse 39. They said to him, we are able. Um, the disciples they didn't really understand how much Jesus was going to suffer. They didn't really understand what he meant. So they said, we are able, but if they understood, they probably wouldn't have said that. But at this moment, they said, we are able. And, but on a smaller scale, they will suffer like Jesus. But they're not able to suffer like he did. And but on a smaller scale, they will. So Jesus says to them, verse 39, they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. And you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. So, James and John they eventually did drink the cup and they were baptized with the baptism. Jesus, this was a prophecy Jesus gave here and his prophecy came true. We know in the, from the rest of the Bible, in the book of Acts chapter 12, it says that James actually was, became the first martyr of the apostles. King Herod had his head cut off for preaching the gospel and John was the last apostle to die. John was exiled to the island of Patmos. And so they both, they, they eventually did drink the cup. They were baptized with the baptism of suffering. Jesus was right. Um, and Jesus goes on to say, so the cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the, with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So, Jesus says to them, he can't give them what they're asking. Um, not that... He doesn't have the power because Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. But what he's saying here is it's not his role. It's not his position. At least not at this moment. At this time while he's on earth. So, 
Jesus is just showing here that his authority right now is given from the Father. That's just a small point Jesus is making. Um, and you might think that James and John are, they seem worse than the other apostles because they, they asked Jesus this, but they, they aren't really. If you look at the next verse, verse 41, hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. So the rest of the disciples, the rest of the ten, they were pretty mad that James and John asked Jesus this. And their jealousy, their anger here was probably, it probably came out of jealousy. At this moment in time, the disciples, they used to argue a lot over who was the greatest. They, there was a sinful competitiveness that was going on with the disciples. And so they, like James and John, they want to be great, and they want to have the seats next to Jesus. Um, they want the top seats in the kingdom, but they have another misunderstanding that Jesus corrects here. The disciples, all 12 of them, they wrongly believe that having these seats, having this position of power and authority is what would make them great. And this is the second main point that Jesus teaches, the last point. He corrects them on the meaning of greatness. If you look at verse 42, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. So Jesus says here, their great men, that is, those who are great in the eyes of the Gentiles, are those who have authority and those who rule over others. That's who the Gentiles think is great. That's the Gentiles that Jesus is talking about here are the Romans. The Romans, the Roman Empire ruled over Israel and ruled over the Jews at this time. And this false understanding of greatness is what the Romans believed and taught. And consequently, the disciples believed in it too. Um, so Jesus corrects them here. And he shows them that the values of the kingdom are always opposite of the world's. It was in the time of Jesus with the Romans and it is in our time. Jesus, Jesus says, it is not, but it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. So, Jesus here doesn't rebuke the disciples for wanting to be great. But he says to them, basically, sure, you want to be great? That's fine. 
That's a good desire. That's a noble desire. So long as what you're striving for is for true greatness. Greatness in the eyes of God. And what is that? Jesus says, it's to be a servant, to be slave of all. And what Jesus means here is, is that great people are people who do things for others. That's what he's saying here. If you want to be great, greatness is working for the well-being of others. Greatness is making sacrifices for the good of others. In other words, greatness is loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus is saying here when he says be a servant, be a slave if you want to be great. That's what Jesus is teaching. Another way you could put it is Whoever wishes to be great among you must be loving, must love. That's another way you could put it. Galatians 5.13 says, Paul says, out of love we serve one another. All service is, is the outward expression of our love for somebody. So love is what Jesus is talking about here. The same point is made by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2. Paul puts it in a negative sense. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2, this is the last passage that I'll turn to. If you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, this is the last passage that we'll turn to. In this passage, Paul makes the same point that Jesus made about the greatness of service and of love. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, what that means is, if I'm the greatest speaker, if I'm the greatest teacher, and if, if I know all mysteries and all knowledge, if I'm the smartest person in the world, and if I have all faith, if if I'm the most confident person, so if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing, Paul says. So Paul makes the same point. Jesus says, if, I, if, if you have love, you're great. Paul says, if you don't have love, if you don't have love you're nothing. He says the same thing, but he puts it in a negative sense. Um, <clears throat> without love, we have no greatness at all, Paul says. We're a big zero. And it's not just these things. You could add anything to this list. Add any amoral attribute that you want to this list. If I have, if I'm the most powerful, most successful, most, the greatest athlete, add, add whatever you want to the list.
But if I have not love, Paul and Jesus say, we're nothing. Um, you want to be something? Be loving, the Bible says. So, how do you do that, though? Go down to verse 4. I just want to mention this really quick. Paul describes love. He says, what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bear, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. If we want to be loving, and the Bible says to be like this. This is... This teaching from Paul and Jesus, it's pretty countercultural. Um, this is not really what we see a lot in the culture, um, on anywhere, TV, music. Um, to use music as, as an example, how often do you hear people glorifying love? Often, if you turn on the radio, you'll hear people singing about glorifying uh, money, fame, or other things. But how often does our culture glorify love? Um, does it really value this according to Jesus Christ and according to the truth, to heaven and God? Um, I try to think of another example of how to explain or how to show that our culture doesn't value love as Christ does and as God does. And what I thought of is just think of families. If we, a lot of my friends that I know, a lot of parents, how often do we see, I mean, if you want to know what somebody truly believes, just think of what they teach their children. What do they emphasize to their children? Do you emphasize, often parents emphasize school, they emphasize sports, and they emphasize a career for their children. And that's, those are good things. But how much do they emphasize love for God and love for your neighbor? Is that what they think would be great for their children? Because um, that's how we know what we really believe. If we, if we see how often parents speak about the greatness of love for Christ and love for others comparatively to those other things, we'll see that those things are of little concern. Greatness, the greatness of love for God and love for your neighbor is of little concern 
to them. So, the world values love so little. And not just the world, but Christians also. Christians fall into this. We become conformed to the world, just like the disciples here were conformed to the world. Many would not admit to this, but if we look at our lives, how we practically live, that, that shows what we really believe. Um, so the world values love so little, and the church can, often does too. Many Christians. Um, that's why Jesus told Pilate, Remember what he said to Pilate? My kingdom is not of this world. That's part of what Jesus meant when he said that. And that's also why Jesus says, when he said, that he said, that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. God's sight is different than the world's sight. Remember what the Lord said to Samuel? Samuel thought, that David's brothers should be king. They were probably bigger and stronger than him. Remember what the Lord said to Samuel? He said, God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What does God think of your heart? You may be highly esteemed among men, but who are you in the sight of God? A lot of people think they are who their friends say they are, or who their family says they are, or who the world says they are. But, but what is true is who we are in God's eyes. We are who God says we are, and nothing more and nothing less. And we can look at Jesus' life as an example of this truth, this truth about service and love. Jesus gives himself as an example. If we look at the last verse in this passage, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says, I'll start in verse 43. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be servant, your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. And then he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said, Look at my life. Jesus gave his life as a ransom. A ransom is a price paid to free a slave. Um, Jesus' life was our ransom to free us from the slavery of sin and from the penalty of sin, which is hell. And he, he did this by dying on the cross as our substitute. That's what he means here by being our ransom. That's how Jesus served us. That's how he loved us. Um, and Jesus says, look at my life. I didn't come to be served. I didn't come and live like the world. I came to serve, to give my life a ransom for many. Follow my example. 
he says. Um, so how should we apply this lesson to our life? This lesson on greatness? I have two applications. First, I think we should rearrange our values so that they are in line with the values of heaven. I think that's what Jesus would want us to do. We should look at our lives and ask, what greatness do I really value? And if we see that we've conformed to the pattern of the world in any way, whatever it is for us, whatever way we've conformed, we should ask God to renew our minds, transform our Transform us by the renewing of our minds so that we have the mind of Christ and our values and our thoughts are in line with Christ. So that's the first. And secondly, lastly, I think we should apply this to our lives by not only valuing and thinking according to Christ, the mind of Christ, Not only should we value love and service, but I think we should serve and actually love others. We should think like Christ and we should act like Christ. Um, And like Christ said, it won't be easy because on this path, we'll drink the cup of suffering. We'll We'll be baptized with the baptism of Christ. The Bible says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's what Christ told the disciples in this passage. But, like Christ said, there's no greater way to live. There's nothing better than living with a patient, kind, humble love for others. This is how Christ lived. So I just want to end with a quote by a famous theologian. And what he basically says here is that we only have two options. Either we're going to be great as Christ defines greatness, or we're going to be like the world. We can't be both. We're one or the other. It's, it's sort of similar to what Christ said. You can only serve two masters. You, you will either love one or hate the other. And here's the way he put it. To come to a solid scriptural decision on this point is of great practical importance. For if we are dazzled with the glitter of this world's glory, we shall reverse the golden rule, which is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we shall seek first the world as our grand object. And the kingdom of God, the interest of the soul, the stake of eternity, will occupy only the second place. That is, virtually, they will be thrust out. 
So, let's seek to be great as Christ defined it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Thank you for teaching us the truth and cause us to to not live according to the pattern of this world, but help us to be like Christ. Give us Christ-likeness by your power and by your grace. Only by your grace can we do anything. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.